So like all of us, I'm struggling. I'm not going to lie. I've come face to face with a label that I had been ignoring. I am an older American. Yep, that's me. And with some underlying health conditions, both my wife and I are in the high-risk category, and that is scary, and I'm not going to lie about that either. Eileen and I are following all the rules, and I think we both feel lucky as hell that not only do we love each other, but we actually like each other. I can't think of anyone else I would rather be sheltering at home with. So everyone contends with the pervasive anxiety of our world today in different ways. But it's pretty clear to me what my coping mechanism is. It's the hard wiring that led me to become a nonprofit executive director. You see, I obsess with helping. It kind of works out well for me because actually that's what I do for a living. Like I help the helpers, helpers like you. Well, my obsession is officially now in complete overdrive because I am seeing how much help you need. I'm sitting here at my dining room table generating one idea after another, little ones, big ones, small ones, ambitious ones that might make your lives just a little bit better. They might help you a little bit even. I believe I may be driving my team mad, but this podcast is actually something they recommended that I do. Now, it's possible that they knew that writing and recording would keep me busy, read out of their hair for a while, but I don't think so. I have an excellent team, and they too are on overdrive, trying to figure out how we can best help you through this. This solo podcast is one of those ideas. I have some advice I hope you will find helpful. Greetings, and welcome to my podcast, Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary. In my work, I offer counsel and advice to CEOs and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a keynote speaker, an author of a best-selling book with a very novel name, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership, and I'm a columnist for the Chronicle of Philanthropy. I'm also the co-founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, an online membership site where we help small nonprofits thrive. But most of all, I consider myself a compassionate truth teller and a champion for board and staff leaders. In my podcast, I dig deep into the issues faced by nonprofit leaders. You can always count on getting my personal point of view, and you can count on experts who will share their expertise in fields ranging from fundraising to leadership transitions, to team building, to board management, to organizational strategy, to self-care. The list goes on. So welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Let's get started. The advice I have today is rooted in what I've learned about nonprofit leaders, your core attributes, your superpowers. So why don't we start there? Reminding you of your superpowers seems like a really good place to start thinking you're probably not feeling like too much of a superhero right about now. Or at the very least, you're noticing some serious tatters in that cape of yours. So I'm going to describe a nonprofit leader, a great nonprofit leader in five sentences. And in these sentences are seven keywords. So five sentences, seven keywords. Ready? A great nonprofit leader is one, a deeply empathetic person who can't sit idly by. Two, a great nonprofit leader is a fierce advocate passionate about the mission of your organization. Three, a great nonprofit leader values and builds relationships. Four, a great nonprofit leader is a five-star communicator. And five, a great nonprofit leader is a creative problem solver. Shall we review? Deeply empathetic, 
fierce advocate, passionate about mission, values and builds relationships, five-star communicator, creative problem solver. Let's grab the keywords, empathy. You're dripping with it. You can sit yourself right in the other guy's shoes, see the problem from their angle, and then you cannot sit idly by until you've figured out how to help. Advocate. That's the second key word. The other word that ties to that is fierce. This is where your sort of dog with bone thing comes in. Number three is you're passionate. You have this fire in your belly about this work. Next, values and builds relationships. You understand that you are actually building almost like a family of stakeholders and that there's nothing transactional about it. Communications. You're a storyteller. You have a vision of what the world will look like if your work is successful. Creative. You see things other people don't. It's kind of a little special x-ray vision you have. And lastly, problem solver. You are a fixer. That's why you took the job that you have. You have opted to make a living fixing the world. (laughs) Or some part of it, right? To change the world for a person, a family, a congregation, a community. So empathy, advocacy, passion, relationships, communication, creativity, and problem solving. This is who you are. This is what you're good at. These are the core attributes that you bring to your work every day. Now, I could keep listing attributes that I admire about you, but these are the ones we're going to focus on today because these are the attributes that are going to get you through this pandemic. Oh, hell, these are the kind of attributes that are going to get any of us through this pandemic. You just happen to be dripping with it. So I have five suggestions, five pieces of advice. I'm going to lay them out. I really, really hope that you listen to them and feel that they can help you. Number one, your job is to continue to stoke the mission, passion, flame. Stoke the mission, passion, flame. You're sitting here thinking, Joan, that's so obvious. That's, that's, that's my job. <clears throat> it is. But I'm going to tell you that it's easy to lose sight of it. Really easy. You know, I talk to hundreds of nonprofit leaders every day in the nonprofit leadership lab from all around the world. And they tell me things and they say things. So here's a story. So Joan, I, you know, I'm just kind of thinking I should just lay low. I help kids in Kenya um, make sure that they um, have access to education. That's all all I do. I only do that. Like I'm not dot, dot, dot. Or how about this one? You know, I don't think I can be out fundraising right now, Joan, because I only do... um, performances in Baroque music, dot, dot, dot. I only, we only. I'm hearing it way too often. I'm asking you, I'm asking you to remove the word only from any sentence describing what your organization does and why it's important. Anybody remember Moonstruck, the movie? Loretta, 
she turns to Johnny and she hits him smack across the face and she says, snap out of it. That's what I'm telling you to do. You decided to be a leader in this organization because you believe in it and it's a power to make things right, to make things better, to make things more beautiful. So just go do that and never, ever sell it short because that's not how the nonprofit sector works, right? Was there, so you think there's some kind of competition for what problem is the biggest? Which museum touches our soul more deeply? That somehow or another, a kid in Kenya doesn't, doesn't need what you're offering? That that kid in Kenya is not actually my neighbor? I'm telling you, that kid in Kenya that you support with that organization is my neighbor. And in fact, reminding me that he's my neighbor reminds me that I am a citizen of the world, not just a citizen of a town. This pandemic could very much create an environment in which we are all isolated and insulated. And that's not good for anyone. So your job is to continue to stoke the mission, passion, flame, and to remove the word only from any sentence describing what your organization does and why it's important. Unless, of course, you are the only organization that does blah, 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 blah. What I'm looking for is for you to remove this. Well, Joan, we only, we only do X. No nonprofit only does anything. Now, I know you know that. I think you just need to be reminded. You're the keeper of the mission flame. You have to keep yours burning brightly for your own sense of self and purpose, but also so other people can see it, so your donors, your staff, your board can see it and feel it too, especially now. Number two, turn your creative problem-solving skills inward. You know that creative keyword I mentioned? You have got it going on. It's what leads you to new ideas, new programs, new ways of delivering against your mission. Let's turn it inward. Michael Hyatt wrote a blog post, which I've included in the show notes. And uh, it is a simple story about him falling down a flight of stairs and breaking his ankle. And rather than going down the oh, poor me route, Michael Hyatt reframed the entire event by asking a different question. What does this make possible? In his particular story, there was a whole list of things that his broken ankle made possible, from the fact that he got first-class upgrades on flights to the fact that he had more open space in his head to build some new blog or some other platform for his voice. This is what I'm seeing, and I have been inspired by it every single day. People are looking. Leaders are looking at what this makes possible. So my friend Amit Paley runs the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is an LGBTQ suicide hotline. They offer crisis hotline services, and they have a remarkable team of people that take way too many calls every day. Two and a half weeks ago, 
he posed the question to his team, how quickly could we move to having our crisis hotline team work from home? Oof, they said, I don't know. I, I think we could probably do it in three weeks. A couple days later, as the news got darker, Amit said to his team, I don't know that we have three weeks. I think maybe we have two weeks. And then a couple of more days went by, and it was pretty clear to everyone that there weren't going to be two weeks. There was going to be a week. And then it turned out to actually be less than a week, and the Trevor Project was ready. 40 laptops configured for cybersecurity, and every member of the crisis services hotline took one home, and they are doing their work every single day, saving lives, literally. And it was a team effort. Everyone was so proud that they were able to move that quickly to do that and not skip a beat. That's what the pandemic made possible at the Trevor Project. My friend Ellen LaPointe became the CEO of Fenway Health in Boston on March 9th. As she says to me, I think I would have preferred flowers on her first day of work instead of a pandemic. There was a project that's been on the docket at Fenway Health to begin to offer telehealth services. Makes sense, right? Makes sense now, actually, more than ever. In fact, essential. And a project that had been uh, determined that would take, I don't know, nine months, a year to convert to telehealth, five days. Probably not perfect and probably not completely comprehensive, but do you see what that what was made possible? I actually just find that remarkable and inspiring. This is what you need to be thinking about as you think about your organization, right? Even the small stuff, which by the way is not always small stuff, that list of things, boy, if only we had time, we could. Get out that list. Get your team together and make that list and see who's got extra bandwidth because the pandemic has brought them home and there are some things about their job they just simply can't do from home. And so what do they have? Additional bandwidth. Does that mean you can clean your database? Um, I mean, that's an obvious one, but my goodness, you must have a list that goes on for days of things you wish you could do, but if you only had the time. So turn your creative problem-solving skills inward and think about what this new reality makes possible. Number three, nurture your tribe. I could have used a word like family or posse or community. Um, I've used the word tribe and I, um, and I hope that's okay. What I mean by it is this group of people that sustain you, your staff, your volunteers, your donors, your board members, um, you've got to be nurturing them now. You cannot hibernate. People say, oh, my donors and my board members, they're dealing with so much, I just need to leave them be. I'm here to tell you, you don't need to leave them be, and you can't leave them be. You need to nurture them, and I picked that word with intention. Nurture them. Care for them. Check on them. If you have staff, they are no doubt working for home, 
from home. And for some people, that's easier than others. My nest is empty. But how many people are trying to sit at a desk while their kids are crawling all over them? It's a lot. I want you to look at your tribe and think about what you can do. Because you have to keep your tribe close. It is the essential ingredient to recovery. My friend Kevin Frost runs AMFAR, one of the leading organizations in the fight against HIV and AIDS. He has, I don't actually know how many staff, I know it's more than 50, probably less than 100 calls, one-on-one, five minutes, 10 minutes, however much time it takes, no agenda other than how are you holding up? Kevin's actually doing that from his basement where he is quarantined. Don't email, call. We really have to find ways to really be in touch with one another. And I'm using the word touch. Think of it as bold and italicized. The same with your volunteers, the same with your board, the same with your donors, and the same with your colleagues. Keep a running list of people that you need to be in touch with. This is another one of those things that is made possible. I bet there are people in your community that you have on your list to say, oh my gosh, I really should be talking to the executive director of the blah, blah organization in my town. I really should have a relationship. Well, how about calling them up and saying, how are you holding up? What lessons are you learning? I'll tell you what lessons I'm learning because maybe, just maybe, you can learn from each other. But donors, this is what I really want to focus in on for just one more minute. These are the folks that are important to nurture. I'm not suggesting that you ask them for money. I mean, there may be a strategy for where that makes sense, but I'm telling you that what I think is important is that I am a donor. I want you to care about me. I don't want you to think of me as a checkbook. I don't like that idea at all. And so when the president of my synagogue called us the other night, was like, oh, why is Josh calling? He was just calling just to see how we were doing. That's it. That's all. But that's a lot. That's what you need to do. And by the way, this is the perfect job for your board members. Give them a list. Ask them to call and check in on five people, 10 people. Just pick up the phone, call them. Hi, I'm a board member at AMFAR. I'm a board member at the Trevor Project. Hi, I'm a board member at Tony's Kitchen here in Montclair. And I just want to see how you're doing. If they ask you what's going on at Tony's Kitchen, of course you'll tell them. But that's not the driver. That's not motivating you to make the call. So if you're asking me, if people ask me, what should my board be doing? That's the number one answer I give them. Nurture your tribe. Get on the phone, call them, see how people are doing. Because you know what? People aren't doing very well. Think of it as a get well soon card. Oh, handwritten notes are also quite lovely, by the way. Next, communicate well and often. So we just talked about internal, right? Get on the phone with your staff, check in on them. That's easy, right? 
some of the conversations you're going to have internally are not going to be easy. You might actually have to furlough or lay people off. Someone asked me the other day, how do I talk about, how, how do I talk about layoffs and not be seen as a bad guy? I know as nonprofit leaders, you don't like to be seen as bad guys. I know you have pleaser personalities and that communicating tough news is tough. I get it. But my colleague, Laura Zelke, reminds me often of Brene Brown's quote that clear is kind. And as long as you are able to put that layoff in the context of, for example, I have to make a choice to shrink the organization a bit so that we are able to recover when the pandemic passes. Shrink to recover. Focus all of your messaging on the mission and your ability to sustain the work in the long term. The other thing I want you to think about is who are the audiences that you communicate to and what do they need to hear? So if we think about your audiences, staff, board, volunteers, donors, your community, and maybe the media, for example, okay? Staff, board, volunteers, donors, community, media. If you were to take a Word document and put those uh, six categories of audiences on one side, can you identify two or three bullet points of headlines for each of those audiences? What they need to hear? What matters most to them? I'm not talking about narrative, big, long paragraphs. I'm talking about headlines, bullet points. Circulate that among your team members and get it right. Audiences, headlines. And have everyone hold on to that tightly during this pandemic, right? Have everyone hold on to that document so that every kind of messaging that you communicate, you're looking and saying, all right, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to talk to the press, this is what they, this is their headline. So board member, what, what's the headline they need to hear? That XYZ organization is uh, maintaining quality programs and services under unbelievably difficult times. That they are doing everything possible to protect staff volunteers, and if you have them, direct service clients. What does each of those audiences care most about? And make sure that your messaging and your interactions with them feed those headlines. I think you'll find that helpful. This is also the opportunity to really flex your storytelling muscles, like really flex them. And you know, you don't have to just tell the stories. I'm a big fan of photographs. And I have seen some really powerful ones. Think about the photographs that you take as how they can tell the full story of the kind of work you're doing at this time and circulate those photographs so they can be circulated to your tribe and for them to circulate outward still. Because I'm going to tell you that it's not just about keeping um, folks aware of what you do. It's also about inspiring people that this work is getting done by people like you at this time. I want to hear those stories. I want to see those photographs. And I know I'm not the only one. 
One quick last thing on this topic of communicating well and often, I have found an app courtesy of my digital marketing partner, Scott Paley at Abstract Edge. It's called Bonjoro, B-O-N-J-O-R-O. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's an app that allows me to send personal videos, custom personal videos to anyone I want that I have an email address for. So I have several thousand members of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. Clearly, I can't reach all of them personally, individually, and an email's fine. And of course, I've done that. And a a big video to everyone is also fine. But imagine if I could, and I do, every Friday afternoon, have a list of 15 people that I send little personal videos to, right? Hi, Eileen, I heard you broke your ankle, (laughs) that you're home, that you have um, blah, 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 whatever it might be. I can tell you that the uh, data says that these Bonjoro videos are open at some crazy open rate and crazy click-through rate. So maybe there's a way you can factor that in. You can go to bonjaro.com. There's a free version that allows you to do a certain number of them every month. And you might find it to be a very useful tool, depending on the size of your organization. So my last piece of advice is offer people the opportunity to help. Not every volunteer, by the way, is hiding under a rock. I've learned stories in the last week that have amazed me, have surprised me, and of course have inspired me. At God's Love We Deliver is a huge organization that serves the New York metropolitan area delivering delicious, nutritious uh, meals to um, folks who are homebound and have chronic illnesses. Do you think that there are volunteers slicing and dicing in their kitchen? Yes. Do you think there are volunteers that are getting the meals delivered? Yes. Do you believe, do you think that the God's Love We Deliver is doing absolutely everything to keep those people safe? You bet they are. There's a synagogue on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It's closed, like every house of worship is at the moment. But their homeless shelter isn't closed. And how is that run? Yep, by volunteers who show up and they're kept safe and protected. Same is true in my my hometown here, Tony's Kitchen. They're doing their um, food pantry work and their food service to the homeless in a different way in a creative way, because they're problem solvers. But do they have volunteers helping them? Yes, they do. Are those volunteers protected and safe? Yes, they are. Each of these organizations is working their asses off to keep fulfilling their mission, to keep the work going. And they are relying on volunteers who are raising their hands and coming to help. The questions you need to ask yourself is, can you make it work? Can you be creative about what helping looks like? Can you be creative about who to ask? And please do not assume that people will say no. Don't assume people will say no. Is there anything that you could get people to do from their own homes? The other thing to think about is there is a massive number of people, young people, who are home college students, high school students. There's a massive inventory of people that have the most precious commodity of all, time. Think about how you might reach out to the community college in your, in your town, in your state. 
how can they get the word out that you need help? Or how about just your local school district? You've got high school students galore who are doing remote learning, but they've got time on their hands, right? Because parents aren't letting kids go out that much, play dates for younger kids. I mean, it's, it's right. They have time. How can you attach your work to their time? Lastly, just remember, please, on this point, when we're talking about offering people the opportunity to help, people are scared. They're turning inward, and that is not good for anyone's mental health. We all know that helping others is good for what ails you. Literally, there are studies that show that volunteering is actually good for your health. And right about now, I would do anything anyone suggested to me that indicated that it would be good for my health. Kevin Frost from AMFAR, who knows a lot about science and medicine, said if the sun comes out tomorrow, find your way into it for 15 minutes. Research shows that sun is good for your health. I'm spending 15 minutes in the sun today because I'm going to do what's good for my health. And people need to have a sense of meaning and purpose in a time of darkness, right? It's what's getting me, it's one of the things that's getting me through is to feel a sense of meaning and purpose in a time of darkness. It's probably what's getting you through too. You can offer that opportunity to other people as well. So let's review the five pieces of advice. Continue to stoke the mission, passion, flame you have inside you. The subtext of that, remove the word only from any sentence describing what you do and why it's important. Well, we only. Number two. Turn your creative problem solving inward and ask yourself the question, what might this make possible? Number three, take care of the people who care about your organization. Nurture your tribe. It's the right thing to do and it is the essential ingredient for recovery. Number four, communicate well and often. Think about your different audiences and what they need to know and hear from you. Keep that really, really handy in every communication. Get on the phone, talk to people, and think about different kinds of technology apps like Bonjuro, as I recommended, that might help you do that. And five, offer people the opportunity to help. There are people out there volunteering. There are people out there with time on their hands, and you have needs. And please do not assume that people will say no. And remember, people are in desperate need of a sense of meaning and purpose in a world that is frightening and a little short on good news. So there you go, my five pieces of advice. I also just want to remind you about your superhero qualities one more time. I think it would be worth repeating that you're a deeply empathetic person who can't sit idly by. You are a fierce advocate passionate about the work of your organization. You know about the value of relationships and you build them well. You communicate well. You're a great storyteller. You have a clear vision for how the world will be better as a result of your work. And you are a creative problem solver. I think it can be really hard to think of yourself that way um, in times like these, but it's not hard for me to think of you that way. So there, 
Um, as I close out here, and I just want to say that there's a there's so much we don't know, but there's something I know with absolute certainty that those who run nonprofits are leaders. You know, Bobby Kennedy is known for a very famous quote about "I dream of things that are." I wish I had, I'm going to screw up the quote, but there's a, he has a very famous quote, but he has others that are. Um, also quite powerful, and I found this one early this morning. It's from the numberless, diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring these ripples build a current that can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Our world is very hungry for leadership right now. If you think about the world sort of metaphorically as, you know, having pedestals out there and different people standing on them, and we look to different people in our lives, maybe our pastor or our rabbi or elected officials, I think a lot of us see empty pedestals, too many empty pedestals. I don't. I see pedestals that are filled with people like Ellen LaPointe and Amit Paley and Shauna McMahon in Seattle and Kim Friedman in Greensboro, North Carolina, working with the homeless, working to educate young kids. I see you on those pedestals. And I just want to say that in a world that is very hungry for leadership, the work you do is no small thing. And as great leaders do, nonprofit leaders are offering us the antidote that has led us out of every dark moment in our history. The antidote that has led us out of every dark moment in our history. Thank you so much for what you're doing, especially now. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you found the conversation to be valuable. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to subscribe to it. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave us a review. Turns out that reviews really matter. They help people discover the podcast. <laughs> and if there's anything in this episode or any episode that really struck you as an aha moment, we'd love to know. Shoot us an email at podcast at joangary.com. And if you'd like to learn more about nonprofit leadership, head on over to my website at joangary.com. That's J-O-A-N-G-A-R-R-Y.com. It's full of advice and resources that you can put into action right away. And make sure to enter your email address so I can send you a surprise I think you'll find helpful. And if I haven't said it lately, thank you. Thank you so much for the important work you do every day to make this world a better place. I'll see you next time.